1: Blue
2: liar. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always by my co-host Nick Filato. And it's been a long time since you heard from us. This is probably the longest break we've had on the podcast since at least the Super Bowl. Um, all the way dating back to then. Probably we may have even had some podcasts then. So it might have even been, I don't know, since when. But, you know, some things have been happening. Nick has been working a lot on his other job. One that will remain nameless because Nick <laughs> is a mysterious man. And I respect that. And me, I was just on a little three-day bachelor party binge uh, from my buddy Steve Milano. Shout out Steve Milano and for... The one listener who knows the one person who was on that trip Vinny. Car- i'm sorry joey carangelo was on the trip Vinny's brother so shout out to you know who tell him i said what up good people good group great time had a little beach house down in ac did a little gambling did a little beach day i haven't done a beach day in a really long time i didn't get to go at all during the pandemic for whatever reason so i like just being out on the beach bringing drinks out there they didn't have. We forgot Spikeball. The person who was supposed to bring Spikeball. We played a couple other games though. One I think you'd really like, Nick, one you're used to, which is just like Can Jam. You probably played that. But have you ever heard of QB fifty
3: four? I have not heard of QB fifty four. But the friend that forgot Spikeball—that's <laughs> a devastating. It was I mean, devastating. It's a devastating thing to forget right there. Especially when you're on a beach. Yeah. Yeah. Horrible.
2: But go on about the game. So QB54 is a is a cool game. It's hard to explain. So it's like you have this chair set up. Within the chair there's a basketball net, but there's also goal posts on top of the chair. And the objective of the game is to throw the football into the net. But if you hit the net if you get in the net, you get six. If you get it off, if you hit the goal post, you get three. If you hit the chair, you get one. But there's other additions to the game. For example, if you throw it through And you don't hit the chair, but it goes to the goalpost or goes to the side or bounces off the chair into the air. The other team can dive and catch it and intercept it. And that's two points for the other team. So it's
3: interactive. And that's a five-point swing. It's a physical game.
2: Oh, it's a physical game. Oh, I love it. And that's a five-point swing. Yeah. Or there's a little wrinkle. I don't know if this is part of the rules. I think Joey actually told me he and his buddies do it, so we added it we allowed pick sixes. So you could, if you pick the ball, you could try to run it back and it's two-hand touch and try to juke them. That's a pick six. But also, if you do get the ball, the offensive team, if they throw the ball into the net, once they score that six, they then take the ball and try to kick it for an extra point through the upright. So it's this very interesting beach game. A lot of fun. QB 54, check it out. But also, Mick, I had a really good weekend shooting the ball in multiple games. Beer Punk, 21 Cup, And Civil War, all games that I've just been very good at my entire life. Really good night shooting the ball. We only had one night doing drink games at the house and we went out to the casinos which was wild, but I don't want to get into that on the pod, but doesn't it feel great when you're just feeling it and you're just dominating drinking games and you're like that first pick in the drinking game draft they keep talking about you and just it's a good feeling nick especially when you're drunk
3: oh it's the best feeling you feel like you're on top of the world like you like you cannot be stopped yeah and i'm not even like a huge like beer pong i had my little run i guess a little bit but like i was never really excellent at that game okay. but flip cup you know and i haven't been i haven't been excellent at flip cup but there are times where like i'm the closer and i get it and i just feel like i'm the freaking man because i nailed it but honestly i'm probably not the best person when it comes to these beer
2: games oh i actually thought you'd be very good at beer games i, I, I don't really drink
3: that much beer so there's that the
2: problem is you don't drink beer so you never were able to get good at these drinking i literally
3: just went to the blue moon brewery in denver and i didn't get a beer
2: that was not a. That was not an edited. That was a legit pause. You didn't get a beer at the blue. First of all, what the
3: hell? What'd you do
2: there? Sit and watch your girlfriend Diana drink beers. Sorry I did. It, drop yes. her name on the podcast. Sit yeah. and watch your girlfriend drink beers. Is that what you? She did? got a beer and I ate some wings and some.
3: Uh, yeah, some wings.
2: Well, you ate some wings. At least yeah. you went there into the deep fried wings section because that that is not common with you either to go. Exactly. Or anything that drops into that deep fryer, and let's yeah. be honest, I was planning—I
3: I was planning on drinking tequila and whiskey later okay. and stuff like that. So like, I'm not okay. gonna do the the beer before liquor, you're even sicker kind of thing, you know?
2: <laughs> that is a pretty—it's f- not that bad. Like, I I do have some belief that beer before liquor, you're even sicker, is true. But I think most of those occasions are when you just over binge on the alcohol. Like most of those examples people are using to defend that beer before liquor, now you're sicker, Yeah, comes from those instances where you're just drinking an insane amount of alcohol. And if you flip back to some other instance where you're probably pounding hard liquor the whole night and you end your night with like three IPAs or one IPA and two beers or whatever it may be, you have a bad hangover then too. And that's liquor before beer. You're not in the clear. No, You're yeah, just never in the clear when you binge it.
3: <laughs> it's all just about like how it makes me feel, to be honest. And That okay. stuff's a little bit heavy on my stomach, so I just don't like the feeling as much. I
2: hear you. I hear you. But it's been a while, and now we're back, and we're going to talk some Giants football. Because the dead of the offseason, we talked about that. The Giants had involuntary OTAs last week. Me and Nick got back from our respective trips. Nick was away in Denver. I was on this bachelor party in AC. And we decided... There's really nothing to talk about. We can force a podcast for you guys. We're not that podcast. We're trying to be the the guys who bring objective analysis, but also we're trying to bring actual content. Like not we're not forcing anything here. Like we don't want to come in and talk to you about some stupid quote. We look through it, there was maybe one key takeaway on the offensive line I found interesting, something that Gates had said in his interview. But now it's the real deal. Tomorrow starts the mandatory mini camp. Or you'll probably be hearing this on Tuesday. So today starts the mandatory mini-camp. And that's the real deal because. First of all, Joe Judge, I like what he's done. You would think Joe Judge has this, you know, personality, has this reputation as this hard coach who doesn't understand the modern nuances of coaching a football team. But then you realize that he's done something really smart. During these voluntary OTAs, he didn't run much team drills. He didn't put these guys through many, you know, hard hitting drills. Or obviously, he can't do any hitting, but maybe like hard, what's it called? Like endurance drills or something that kind of gets into what he'll get into in training camp and in the season because he knows these guys have to build back up to where they want to be. So he eased them through. But I think tomorrow or today, I should say, sorry, at the start of this mandatory minicamp and i want to hear your take on this i think we're going to start to see some interesting things i think we're starting to see team drills i think we're going to start to see personnel groupings i think we're going to start to see some you know endurance drills maybe we see joe judge dive back on the football field on one of those scramble drills the football <laughs> the fumble drills that everybody loves so i think that's we're going to start to see that this week so i think it's important that we'll have a lot of content on this mini camp and this will be the time where we first in my opinion this is the first foundation laying the foundation for the 2021 season
3: laying the foundation for the 2021 season man and look it's it's a it's a huge season there's there's no sugarcoating and is Daniel Jones going to be the guy you have to make the uh, decision on that fifth year option next year so I mean you added all the weapons now and people are saying yeah there's no excuses now but obviously you know there's a little bit more nuance to that the offensive line does need to hold up that's not necessarily a given but I think a lot of people are cautiously optimistic myself included I think they can definitely take a step forward because let's be honest they can't take a step they can only take one step backwards <laughs> because they were the 31st ranked by a lot of metrics but again are those metrics Uh, how accurate are those metrics but I think just objectively as we watched the game throughout or as we watched every game last season the offensive line was an issue for that offense Jason Garrett was an issue and then Daniel Jones wasn't able to put it all together with all that chaos around him can he do it this year yeah that's the big question and that starts
2: this it really does start today in these three-day mandatory minicamp we're going to start to see what Jones has worked on to improve you know we talked about it last week all those videos I believe I actually talked about this on a locker room someone asked me about this and i thought that you know i had a good answer but we didn't drop the locker room maybe we will later we got to edit that out there was you know some things in that but what do i make of those videos that you saw where daniel jones is working on his footwork and you see him with his trainer kind of in those footwork drills and i said like listen i get why people think that this is a really good thing because a lot of the time it looks like just on the broadcast or whenever you're watching a game even if you have the all 22 that his feet are the reason for you know these situations where he doesn't feet, it doesn't look like he has good pocket awareness right the play kind of breaks down it, and it turns into either a sack a sack fumble or a negative play but to me what in my opinion it's mostly up there like when you see those slow feet it's really just that his mind's not moving quick enough through those progressions and it looks like it's the feet that are stuck in sand but really the mind will work in conjunction with the feet so he can work on all that footwork stuff but that was never really an issue for me lateral agility fe- you know quick feet any of that that I don't see that with Jones the issues i see only issues I really see footwork-wise are kind of the drifting to the left, a uh, drifting when he's throwing to the left. As far as like looking like he's stuck in mud, I think that's the mental stuff. And I want to see during this mandatory minicamp, is he moving through his progressions? Is he getting rid of the ball quick, accurate, on time? Does it feel like he has a much better grasp of this system going into year two? Because that's what we were promised from Gettleman. That's what he said. That's the reason they wanted to bring Garrett back. He doesn't want to put him through a new system. So there has to be an upside to it. The upside has to be that he has feeling more comfortable in the system and that he's moving quicker in the system. And I want to start to see that
3: tomorrow and throughout this week. And even if he shows all those Today. things. Yeah. Even if he shows all those things, man, like that's that's excellent and everything like that. But then once you get hit once, are you going to be able to retain that right. and have that muscle memory to keep going through it? So it's, you're not out of the woods then. But there are definitely things that you can take away from these mini camps, you know, especially from personnel packages, all those kind of things uh, to kind of give us – a some sort of glimpse of what this offense can be like this year because the offense that's the crux of everything right we 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 hope that the defense and this isn't a given either we kind of assume it is we hope that the defense can be as effective as they were well uh, as they were last year in 2020. But that's not necessarily given. But all the attention is going to be paid to this offense. And that's where I that's where I want to see. I want to see how this offensive line is going to do. I want to see how Jason Garrett, like you said before, employs the personnel packages. Are they going to use two running back sets? I mean, Saquon Barkley is not going to be there. But are we still going to see that? Is Kadarius Tony going to be aligned in the backfield? What are you going to do with the slot? Is it going to be – are you going to ever put Kenny Galladay in the slot? Are we going to see stuff like that? Are you going to have Evan Ingram be in the slot? Are you going to come out in – base personnel with like 12 personnel and then spread them out wide because you have athletes like Evan Ingram and do creative things like we saw a lot last season I just I don't know I'm interested to see how uh what uh, what the beat can kind of show us because you and I aren't going to be there unfortunately no
2: yeah we will not be there but we will be following along with the beat guys Uh, I believe that generally speaking they do a pretty good job some better than others The best they can do. I don't think they have much access anymore either these days, just with all the new NFL rules. But I think we'll at least get a good grasp for personnel groupings on offense, who's playing, who's playing where, if they're using more motion. And then on defensive side of the ball, like Nick said, it's not a given that the Giants are just going to be this elite defense. But we want to start to see some of these players. And like you said, the rookies. I think the rookies are important. There was a quote that you actually wrote down in our notes here that I'm going to read off. And it's from Joe Judge. And he said, rookie mini camp and he was talking about the previous rookie man it'd be like drinking from a fire hose for these overwhelmed first-time players is i think with the rookies what you see a lot of times is a level of improvement week by week more so than the vets because they're so young it's kind of like watching the the bunch of pups grow up they come in, it's drinking from a fire hose, you've got to remember these guys walk down the hallways, you're trying to remember everyone's face and name, when you start plugging it all together and moving fast going forward, these guys, then it slows down for them. And I think that's important to know because some of these guys were expecting big things from in year one. Really three of these rookies were expecting big things from them, in my mind at least. Darius Toney, Ajiz- Azizo Ojolari, and Aaron Robinson. Uh, whatever we get at Ellerson Smith is good, yeah. I'm not definitely expecting big things. But I don't think anyone should go crazy if during this entire rookie mini camp, really, you don't see all these guys taking that many first team reps, any you know, even even third down passing situation reps for Tony or for Aziz or for Robinson. That may not happen. They have to ease their way in, especially with Tony, because Tony was literally not at any of these voluntary OTAs. Which, by the way, Nick, I gotta be honest with you, I don't love. I think it's a bad first impression. I'm not making any judgments from this. I don't have any hot takes that are deriving from this. But I didn't love the fact that Tony was not at the voluntary workouts. I'll be honest with you.
3: I think I saw something that said that he wasn't on the field, but he actually was in the building after he signed the contract. So I don't know why he wasn't on the field. But regardless, I just want to see him out there with two good shoes on the damn football field getting the football thrown to him by Daniel Jones.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And you know what else I want to see? And you actually wrote this down, Nick, and we talked about this off pod. I'd love to see it during some time during this week, either today, tomorrow, or the day after. I would love to see a little little interesting wrinkle in the offense. Maybe Jason Garrett comes out and says, this is a new season. We have more time. Jones feels more comfortable within the system. And that's just simple things as terminology and understanding all the protections, understanding the audibles, things that will and should improve in year two in a system. And he comes out and he says, we can start to get a little creative. It's a new year. Let's have a wrinkle where Kadarius Toney is in the backfield with Saquon Barkley won't be out there, but with, or he might not be out there, but probably won't be, with the running back, whoever that may be, whether it's Booker or whoever that may be. And have him in the backfield. Have him doing some jet sweep. I want to see Kadarius Tony, even if it's with that second team offense with Mike Glennon. I want to see how they're going to use him because if they just have him traditionally lined up in the slot, it's not. It's not that it's a bad sign because it's so early, but it's just I, I want to see that right away, type of thing.
3: That and just motions, and it's yes. something that we've just said so much since Jason Garrett became the offensive coordinator of the Giants. Man, use more <laughs> motions. Don't just use them to like help bolster your protection because you need to account for an unblocked defender use them to create mismatches man use them to put yourself into a more advantageous situation not just from a protection standpoint but from a route scheme standpoint or just use them as deception like we see Sean McVay do all the time with Los Angeles there's just so many creative things that can happen pre-snap that we have not seen yet with Jason Garrett and a lot of people they made excuses and I think some of the excuses you know they do have some merit about the truncated offseason about the young offensive line about the fact that they didn't want to rely on five-man protections all that often but now you know you have a more established offseason you have a hopefully continuity with the offensive line coach because mark colombo is not there anymore so let's just hope we can see that to help this offensive passing attack because last year i mean it was just was horrendous to watch to be honest
2: absolutely horrendous last season and we'll get to a little bit of that later because there are some questions in the offensive line i want to talk about what we saw from voluntary otas for the offensive line if we're going to see it this week but i do want to ask you if now is the time that we're also going to get a chance to see different route concepts because one of our biggest issues one of our biggest cruxes with this jason garrett offense personally it's my biggest crux with this offense with the exception of the overall philosophy which i think is to be quite honest with you get 10 yards in three plays and i do think that's very flawed but more so than that or at least the secondary crux for me the secondary worry for me is can he get with the times from a route concept standpoint this is a new age in the nfl you need to have some some way of attacking vertically early and often the nfl is a passing game you have you can't mix it in occasionally three to five times a game it has to be a part of every single series in my mind and you should not be worried in my mind about punting you should be worried about getting chunk plays and so will we see some of those concepts already and what are some things that you want to see more of during this mini camp if we do get lucky enough to get that from the
3: beat guys yeah so there's two route concepts two man route concepts that i that i wanted to talk about and i've talked about them a lot in the past, and that's the Mills concept, which is a deep dig and then a deep post. Uh, really puts the deep middle of the field safety into conflict so before you break before
2: you go any further i want to back it up okay explain when that when those two routes are working in combination with each other explain what those routes are actually yeah, doing.
3: yeah so a mills concept the number two receiver so that's the innermost receiver is going to run a deep dig route and then a post route from the number one receiver this is a half field read so that the objective of the route on the dig is to occupy the safety the middle of the field safety say if it's cover one or even cover three it's to get the attention of that safety downward so the post can then just go over the top of that safety that safety is going to be driving downward on the dig and not realizing there's a post coming behind him now say if it is cover three there's going to be a deep one-third defender on the outside to follow that post but if you have inside leverage there as a receiver you have a good break then that guy drives up on the dig route you're gonna be wide open and you just lead him right in stride throw him open and that's going to be a touchdown for the for the mills concept and then you have just the dagger concept, which is similar, but instead of a post, it is a, just a nine route. So it's just a fly route, and you can create just isolation, one-on-one type of matchups there. And you can also just do stuff like the nine-eight-nine concept, which is an air coriel type of concept, where it's a nine route from the uh, number one receiver on one side, which is just a fly route streak. Nine route from the other side as well. And then in the middle, the slot guy is going to run a deep post. So middle of the field closed, say, cover one, you can just basically have that post occupy that middle-of-the-field safety, and then you're going to have one-on-one matchups on the outside, even if you face cover three, cover one, whatever it is. And when you have a guy like Kenny Galladay, you have a guy like Darius Slayton, you have a guy like Sterling Shepard, and maybe even Kadarius Toney, one of those guys is going to be able to win those one-on-one matchups. We saw in 2019, right. dude, Daniel Jones was pretty good at throwing one-on-one with guys like Darius Slayton. And Kenny Galladay is far superior to Darius And I like Slade. Even with
2: guys like Golden Tate, he was <laughs> good at throwing that slot vertical one-on-one.
3: Exactly. So I would like to see more of that, but you need protection to have those longer developing routes. And, and you, the entire <laughs> offense works in conjunction with each other. You need a good running game to... To help, you know, turn the clock out to help keep the defense honest so they're not dropping deep into coverages and just like pr- preventing the pass, which I don't expect because it's Daniel Jones and you have Saquon Barkley, but you need everything to kind of work together. And I think more vertically based concepts, maybe three-level read, two-level reads, and flood concepts against zone. We want to see more of that. And last year, dude, we have talked about this off pod. How many there were a couple throws throughout the season where he hit deep dig routes in zone coverage, something that he struggled to do in 2019. Yes. Very nice throws really with nice. touch over the linebacker right but great timing right before the safety and then it was usually to Darius Slayton it seems like let's see a little bit more of that
2: yeah a hundred percent and a lot of those came off deep drops off play action but mm-hmm. a lot of those times the production actually wasn't perfect and he maneuvered in the pocket stepped up took a hit or just used his feet to create enough space to hit Slayton and when people talk about layering throws that's exactly what we're talking about he's layering that deep dip over the second level linebacker in between that safety and if not—and agreed, you do need some time because you need the safety to define himself and to, to understand if you're going to go which way, especially like on something like the Mills concept. But at the same time, I feel like you also need a quarterback who's seeing the field well enough that he's confident enough to get rid of that football and to throw it on a line—not on a line, but necessarily throw it with anticipation— so something that may not seem open at the time you can still throw a receiver open in these concepts in my mind it goes back to what we've talked about in the past a lot of jokes you see on twitter from i know um ted i'm trying to think Winn. of this guy ted Wynn, yeah. who i really like who does a lot of i knew you knew exactly what i was talking about here he does a lot of film analysis on twitter i think for the raiders for the athletic he always talks about just always run four verts like literally he always talks yeah. about how important he's like it's a joke but at the same time it's not a joke it's you could run four verts a lot more. Your team should be running, in my mind, team should be running. It's not just four verts. Like you just talked about that nine eight nine, which is basically a three vertical route, right? Yeah. You can run three and four vertical-based con- concept routes a lot more often than the Giants do. Like, it's not, you know, yes, you feel like you're putting your quarterback in danger to some degree, but at some point, you're not. If you get your quarterback in such a groove that he understands the system so well and can read, post-snap, and anticipate well enough, he can throw that football before the pressure gets there.
3: Yeah, and four verts, too. It doesn't have to be like in Madden where it's just four streaks out of Yeah, the yeah. You adjust. The receiver adjusts based off the coverage he sees, mm-hmm. and that's something that we saw a lot in Kevin Gilbride's system, oh, yeah. uh, the running gun with Eli Manning and then the receivers, and that's why whenever a receiver got injured, there were so many interceptions and just mishaps with that offense. But you can bend your verts inside. You can come. You run a comeback. You can just do different things based on the coverage and the quarterback wide receiver be on the same page and you can just take advantage of whatever the defense is doing. They exactly. It doesn't have to just be four streaks.
2: And before we move on to the next thing we want to see, I do want to make one more point on that because I think it's an interesting point you brought up and doesn't get talked about enough. And I just want to make sure all of our listeners have heard us say it because I'm not sure everybody knows this. I'm not sure. And if you do, okay, sorry, I, I'm reiterating or sorry, I'm, I'm kind of barreling it back. But what Nick said is true. The reason why the Giants offense under Kevin pride with Eli Manning, went at its best look like, literally unstoppable, like that 2011 season where they literally had pro football focus's 32nd-ranked pass protection, worst in the NFL, the two lowest-graded tackles in the NFL. And yet their passing offense threw for almost 5,000 yards. Eli threw for over 1,000 in the playoffs, 11 touchdowns, one interception. Why? Because when that offense was working, it was almost unstoppable because of what you said. Yeah. It was a vertical-based offense, but the receivers had option routes that the quarterback— Literally, the whole goal of every play was the quarterback and receiver had to be on the same page. They had to read the coverage well because they had so many options within the route. Which is like what you said. Why did Eli have all those years where he had twenty plus interceptions? A big reason for it is because of the injuries to receiver position. Because when you had different guys cycling in at receiver, they didn't read the field the way Eli read the field, and that killed Eli because he was throwing a lot of interceptions where the receiver was running a vert when he's supposed to be running a comeback or a stop route. And you saw a lot of interceptions that got credited to Eli in the final stat line, and will go against this whole. of fame case whenever that happens but really weren't ultimately his fault in my opinion so i just want to make sure we get that through so this will be good for any of you who have a little debate about eli manning's hall of fame career with your buddy
0: we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data
2: your jets fan buddies cowboys (laughs) fan buddies throw them that line talk to them about that option route based offense and about how the slew of injuries because giants were really injured at the wide receiver position from steve smith to hakeem nicks to victor cruz to mario manningham you go through all of their big receivers even plástico to an extent with the shooting himself thing and that's a bit of a stretch but all the rest they were injured a lot of their career in key times. And so use that argument because it's a good one.
3: Yeah, I know. And if you just need any other evidence, just watch Reuben Randall. And I imagine, <laughs> they had no chemistry together whatsoever. It was terrible. It's so true.
2: All right, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. But then let's dive back and do some mini camp preview.
1: Like any good team, hiring the right employees for your front office is just as important as recruiting the best players for the game. That's why you need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications, and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply.
2: All right, let's dive back into this, Nick. So the offensive line, both voluntary OTAs, there wasn't much really to talk about because it started as we expected. Left to right. And if you look at the depth chart, there's just not much depth. Like, okay, maybe Solder can compete with Parrot. Not really. If that happens, that's probably a disaster. Solder hasn't played the right side since 2011. Don't really think they have any options at guard. <laughs> Zach Fulton, its center, you know, Jonathan Harrison, who literally Jets fans told me, I hate that I keep saying literally, Nick. By the way, side note, you may may or may not edit this out, but I'm trying my best to cut down on the literallys. But who Jets fans... Matter-of-factly told me (laughs) was the worst center they've ever seen play. So
3: dumb. (laughs) The worst center they've
2: ever seen play on their team, and we're counting on him as depth. I see like some giants are like, we got Jonathan Harrison. We got this guy was like out of the NFL. Don't count on Jonathan Harrison. Okay, I'm sorry. Don't.
3: Yeah, and then the Kyle Murphy thing, there's just nothing we can really say about it. say about Kyle Murphy? He may never be ready to play at the NFL level. He may not. I would feel much more comfortable if the Giants had a little bit more depth along the offensive line. We've been saying that this entire thing. And that does not mean the offensive line is going to suck. That does not mean Dan and I feel like the offensive line is going to suck. It just means a lot of things have to happen for it to be at the level that we hope it to be. The Mm -hmm. Giants win the NFC East, you know, because... Jumping from 31 to, what, 15 is probably something that you would want. That's to our goal. Or yeah. like
2: 20 probably is more realistic.
3: Yeah, and that's still like something that five different players who haven't established a consistent career yet have to take that step. It could happen. It definitely could happen. But still kind of a lot of things. If it doesn't materialize, tell me. Like I wouldn't be surprised whatsoever. You know what I'm saying? It wouldn't, I'd not be like, okay, I could, we definitely saw concerns going into the season. It wouldn't shock you.
2: Right, and more so on that, Like I feel like there's other ways, there's other avenues for an improved offensive line play. Like You see it across the NFL. Sean McVay is a great example of this. They mm-hmm. don't have that much talent on the offensive line. They have a lot of older players, they have a lot of cycle-out players, yeah. but sometimes scheme and really good offensive coordinating can mask and hide an offensive line. And other times, great quarterback play can mask and hide an offensive line. And so that's kind of my hope. I mean, it's not something. I, it's to me, there's just as good a chance that Jason Garrett can take a step forward and Daniel Jones can take a step forward as these guys can develop into these great players, like the Shane lemieux fifth-round picks of the world. And so, in my mind, that's also an avenue for this improved old line play, better scheme, better play calling, yes. better system.
3: Uh, I 100% agree, and I do like like Will Hernandez is going to the right side, which is a projection because he was. A left guard his entire college career his entire nfl career but i love the fact that he's working with duke uh, manny weather i love the fact that he's putting in the work you can see it he puts it on instagram you, you can tell that you could tell that he cares and i it's not think that's something that we ever questioned about will hernandez mm-hmm. but he's just he hasn't been the enigma that evan ingram has been but he had that good 2018 a lot of promise like oh maybe we found this long-term guard and it just has been 2 years of disappointment and now he's on his last year of the contract this is a it's a big year for him we should go <laughs> it's a big year for a lot of guys on the Giants offense to be honest
2: Yeah, and we'll talk about players going into a make or break season on a future podcast yeah. the true dead of the offseason we've talked about this is the dead of offseason after minicamps over this week boys and girls we have we got like 6 weeks to go before anything comes know, up july 27th at the start of training camp but I do want to see this week how Will Hernandez looks on the right side because there are some things that we will be able to glean from just the minicamp without the pads, without the hitting. Is he getting into a stance quick? Is it? Does it look like he's unnatural? Is he giving up? You know, inside leverage. Is he doing things that look like? Oh, it's because I'm so used to playing on the left side and I need some more time. Or is he picking it up like that? Because that would be a really good sign. They're going to need him to. They're putting a lot of eggs in this Will Hernandez basket. If he doesn't work, they're going to Zach Fulton or maybe a you know veteran cut, which I still think is. Like at least fifty to sixty percent chance of happening, but you know they are putting eggs in this Will Hernandez basket. Uh, sorry, basket. So I do want to see how quickly he's
3: acclimating. Absolutely, man. And, it, and again, this is assuming that all five of these guys stay healthy all year, and that's. And I know we've brought this up on other podcasts, I've brought it up on locker room. that's definitely not a given. The Giants didn't really have to deal with a lot of injuries along their offensive line last year, right? And really not that many other than the edge position, which was decimated, and then Xavier McKinney. And then, obviously, Saquon Barkley.
2: They were... Yeah, they were... I would say they weren't, like, super lucky with injuries, but I'd say they were probably top 10, top 12 as far as injury luck went.
3: Especially because I feel like through the last 10 years, they've just had horrendous oh, yeah. luck.
2: There were studies to show that, like, the past medical staffs before you know even these last two or three coaching staffs really during the Coughlin years mostly were among you know I don't know if you can blame it on the medical staff a lot of injuries in my mind are just luck based but the Giants were among the most injured teams and that's kind of plagued the Eagles still for a lot of years like the Eagles were in that mix during that time the Giants were Eagles are still getting hit by that the Giants not as much so I mean obviously McKinney obviously Barkley and you know even some of these offensive line you can say you know Will Hernandez and Matt Parrott having COVID was was kinda of bad yeah. luck to yeah. some extent, especially for these offensive linemen. It's really every team bad dealt luck. With that though, but yeah, yeah, Not I'm not sure every team had their offs two of their potential start and I don't wanna call Paris a potential starter, but he mm. was potentially starting to look like he may have been trending in a direction. Yes. And then COVID slowed him down. Um, we still don't know any details on that though, so it's not a given that COVID slowed them down. But there are a lot of studies out there that say, you know, people in that weight range who had COVID suffered from longer term effects or were yeah. unable to get back. You know, even Jason Tatum, who's not three hundred pounds, Jason Tatum is NBA player for the Boston Celtics. He talked extensively about how he couldn't had to use an inhaler after having COVID, couldn't get up and down the court the same way. And his stats dipped off for like a month and a half after he had COVID, he picked back up at the end of the season. But so that was that month and a half that Will Hernandez, maybe that was that month and a half that Will Hernandez and Parrott came back for. And now they go into this season without that, you know, weighing over them. So I don't want to say they were perfectly healthy on the offensive line, but I agree they, you know, they're going to have to stay healthy and they obviously didn't have too too bad luck there.
3: Yeah, no, you're right. It's a good point to bring up the uh, the COVID issues that, that they dealt with.
2: And how about on the defensive side of the ball? What are some of the things you're going to be looking for, Nick?
3: Okay, so there's they've always been deep at the defensive line, it seems like. They lose Dalvin Tomlinson, but they still have some talented guys there. I want to see the rotation. I'm not sure how much we're going to be able to tell from minicamp through that, but I want to see the defensive line rotation. I want to see if odenabo is being used in passing situations on the inside how they're going to really utilize him i want to see if ryan anderson is going to earn any of those early down snaps or is he someone who's truly going to be a fringe roster spot guy who will be cut i want to see if they're going to be really creative with leonard williams which i expect to happen to be honest and then i want to see danny shelton out there bro i know he's not somebody who's uh sexy and moves the needle but That's a mountain of a man, and I think he's going to be important to what Patrick Graham wants to do if Patrick Graham wants to maintain those tight fronts that he ran so often last year with Dalvin Tomlinson anchoring down. Because I do believe he likes to use Dexter Lawrence in a different role. And when you have two mountains of a man right there in the center of your defense, that's hard to block. That's eating a lot of blocks, and that is allowing your linebackers to scrape, flow, and make tackles. And that's why Blake Martinez is so productive a lot of times. Not to mention he's a stud.
2: Yeah, I think that's great. That's spot on. I mean, that was a big sign. It's an under the radar signing. It's Danny Shelton, former first round pick. wasn't wasn't on a team where he really stood out. Isn't at a position with the Lions last year. I mean, isn't at a position where he really stood out. But when you put on the film and when you watch what he did for them, yeah. you could see how he could translate into that Tomlinson role. And maybe not be Dalvin Tomlinson. There won't be that case. That's but you're not expecting that when you sign someone for under two million. But can he play or like? It's much easier for me in my mind to accept the idea that Danny Shelton can replace what Dalvin Tomlinson gave the Giants than that, you know, like some late market guy like Austin Johnson or something, but he was on the team, but that, that's not a great example, can replace what Leonard Williams gave them. Or, you know, that, you know, I don't know, some, <laughs> I'm thinking of maybe like a Dre Kirkpatrick could replace what like James Bradbury gave them, right? Sure. Or something like Swag that, animals, right? Ray
3: Kirkpatrick, baby. So, like as much as Thompson yeah. did
2: give the Giants last year, his role I think is was a bit more easily replaceable, and I think Danny Shelton was probably one of the better options. In that regard to replace him that was on the market especially at that price point so that's a good point i actually am interested in seeing a few guys that are under the radar too in this defensive line rotation i want to see bj hill because i've always been a massive believer in bj hill when you watch the all 22 to me bj hill is pretty much one of the most efficient per snap defensive linemen on this roster when asked to rush the passer he's obviously not the same against the run as any of the big three but when asked to win a one-on-one battle against the guard I saw him win a lot, and I saw him win quick off the snap, and I think he's going to have a more expanded role. He started to get more snaps down the stretch of last season anyway. I think we're going to see a lot more with Tomlinson gone and the replacement of being Shelton. And I also want to see R.J. McIntosh. I have a weird feeling McIntosh can actually— I know it's a little odd, especially after they re-signed Austin Johnson, but McIntosh is another guy, not to the same extent of Hill, but he was another guy who I also thought flashed on -on one-on-one pass rush reps when watching the All-22, when seeing that specific angle where you're just seeing that end zone view and you just kind of can really focus in on those defensive line, offensive line, one-on-ones. And so I'm kind of interested to see if either of them can kind of work their way into the rotation early in this minicamp.
3: Yeah, I mean, he's still on the team, and a lot of people just kind of forget about him. He was really, really quick, really, really long coming out of Miami, and he dealt with the sickness when he came in the league. He had a lot of injury issues, and then he just hasn't seen the field, but if, I mean, just seeing him in minicamp, see if he has anything left, I mean, that's something that I would uh, entertain for sure.
1: Yep,
2: without a doubt. All right, how about the secondary rotation? Because I think that's going to be one of our most interesting talking points for the next six weeks when we preview the positions, and obviously in training camp. What are you looking for just right now, though, in minicamp from that secondary?
3: So we get to see a Dory Jackson out here for the first time, which is going to be cool. I want to see how they just all kind of work in unison together within zone coverage. And I want to see if we're going to see more man coverage as well. And I mean, what, you got James Bradbury, you got a Dory Jackson, you got Darnay Holmes, Aaron Robinson, and then you have that safety group of Jabril Pepper, Xavier McKinney, and Logan Ryan. All those guys move the needle for me, but I want to see how Isaac Yadam does. I want to see how Sam Beal does. I want to see how Rodarius Williams does. I want to see how all of those guys and see who can really rise to the top. Is there going to be somebody who makes a impressive contested interception on someone like a Darius Slayton or a Kenny Galladay which we see sometimes I think Darnay Holmes did that last year and it might have been training camp I think it was a more of a physical thing and I can't remember exactly who it was against but a lot of people started talking about Darnay Holmes after that so I uh I hope that that one of those guys can kind of rise up because I'm not 100% certain which one of those guys is going to earn those like final two spots yeah
2: I mean I'm definitely interested in the back end roster stuff as well that will especially be As More more interesting to me even during training camp. But for right now, what I'm actually focusing on is how it's going to... I think we know for a fact that we're going to have two spots locked in. James Bradbury and Adore Jackson as those boundary guys. But I think on most snaps this season, we're going to have five defensive backs. Sometimes six, sometimes maybe four. But on most snaps, five. So how do those last three positions shake out? The competitors, there's a lot of competition here. We've got Logan Ryan. We've got Xavier McKinney, who's now hopefully going to be fully embraced and ready to rock day one at minicamp. We've got, um, I'm sorry, we've got Jabril Peppers. We've got, uh, who you just mentioned, Darnay Holmes. We've got Aaron Robinson, And even, you know, to some extent, Julian Love still in the mix. That's a lot of players competing for maybe three, you know, three extra positions per snap on average, sometimes, like I said, two, sometimes four. But that's a lot of players and a lot of a lot of talent, to be quite honest with you, competing for a very few spots. So I'm really interested to see who steps in right away on day one and how that kind of works throughout the week. Will there be a rotation there or will there be guys just locked into spots?
3: Yeah, I'm imagining it's probably going to be a rotation. And I think during mini camp and training camp, this is where you kind of play guys in positions that – they didn't necessarily do in the past you know see how they fare in those positions that's more of a training camp thing as well but i wouldn't be surprised to see if they just like the movement of somebody in the slot you know drop Xavier McKinney in the slot see how he does can he handle Evan Ingram in those situations stuff like that you know and you're probably going to see him also drop into the deep center field as well that's something i'm wondering dude if we if the Giants play more cover one is McKinney going to be that single high because that's the guy. first guy that comes into my mind.
2: I think that guy—he's got to be the guy. I don't—I don't know if there's anyone on this roster I trust besides him, to be honest. In that Honestly, situation. the other
3: guy that comes into my mind is, is Julian Love, who did mm-hmm. it last year. Because yeah, I don't think I I that's don't a peppers or Ryan that. thing. No.
2: Peppers actually would be my number two to do that role. I thought he had a few snaps there last season. I thought in general, Peppers' coverage took a massive step in I 2020. Yeah. So he, I think there's actually two guys I'd be comfortable with there, but mostly it would be McKinney, especially because he did a lot of it at Bama, and especially because he did it in front of, you know, a lot of press man coverage we're expecting to see a lot more of now with uh Sorry, Patrick Graham this season, now that he has a Dory Jackson, Mm -hmm. now that he has potentially Aaron Robinson in the mix. So that makes it, to me, even more likely McKinney can kind of use what he learned at Bama under Saban and translate it right away.
3: Yeah, I'm interested to see it because, honestly, I'm not certain. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I don't think it's going to be a set thing either. It's definitely going to be something that's a little bit more fluid, which is what you want because you want to, obviously, keep the offense on their toes.
2: Without a doubt. One other thing I'm interested in seeing is how this inside linebacker rotation shakes out because, obviously, like you said, At its core, at its peak, Patrick Graham's defense is using those defensive linemen to allow a lot of free rushes or free lanes for these linebackers to kind of scrape off, like you said, and make plays in the backfield or make plays just beyond the line of scrimmage. And can Carter Coughlin, who started taking reps at inside linebacker with all the added depth on the outside, maybe they see, maybe he sees it, maybe they see it, like this is my path to playing time. Can he kind of step up there? Because I don't think it's that big. To me, I'm not as... Like I say, I'm not as high on Tate Crowder as the rest of the Giants Twitter seems to be, but I'm just thinking like this is not an unattainable thing for someone else to take his role. I don't think it's beyond the realm of impossible that Tate Crowder doesn't play this expected role that a lot of people are assuming he will play this season, even especially with a guy like Reggie Raglan, who I probably like more than others also in the mix. But I want to see the guy like Carter Coughlin kind of surprise us while playing, you know, behind a really talented defensive line
3: front. If he can, that that says so much, man. You drafted this guy in the seventh round, and he's able to give you somewhat valuable reps on edge in his rookie season and then transfer to a linebacker spot and actually earn reps. I, I don't think he's going to be the de facto number two next to blake martinez but he could earn a rotational role especially in you know maybe like second and intermediate and downs like that yeah. where sometimes you want to blitz and bring five he can do that effectively but like i said on, on a previous podcast i think it's going to be a little bit of a growing pains from a mental standpoint just playing that traditional linebacker and also just keeping his chest clean and being able to stack and shed blares especially with the shorter arms it's something that i feel like is is difficult to develop but not necessarily totally unattainable now if he's not able to though is is that, is that going to spell the end of them? I know I know we've pitched that on locker rooms in the past,
2: but mm. we've pitched the possibility of it. We have, yeah, just course, to be clear, we haven't said yeah. we think that's what's going to happen. But yeah. I think that's also very much so within the realm of possibility. These late-round guys that they got, these day three guys from 2019, or I'm sorry, from 2020 draft, are not locked in on this roster. I know everybody seems to think that because they played solid roles in year one, but even someone like Cam Brown would not stun me. I don't think he will because of his special teams role, yeah. but even someone like you know Carter Coughlin, like you just mentioned, would not stun me. These guys are competing, and there's a lot of ta- depth on this Giants roster. This is the deepest this Giants roster has been in I can't even remember and all of you who know me know I'm not positive I'm not optimistic unless it's warranted this is warranted this is warranted optimism about the depth of this roster with the exception the offensive line this roster is deeper than I can ever remember it ever specifically on the defense but even wide receiver man really deep right now
3: and they're young too that's like another great thing about it and you have like your your key veteran type guys on the defense with Blake Martinez Leonard Williams Bradbury and then Logan Ryan but then everybody else is young dude a young team and that that breeds a lot of excitement
2: it does it really does i mean obviously you know roster depth entirety is not everything in the nfl you gotta have top end talent as well you have to have quarterback play you have to have good coaching you have to have offensive line play those are all still question marks if they weren't the giants would be viewed as one of the top super bowl contenders going into the season i really do believe that like this defense though is truly being slept on in my mind like there were people out there saying the Giants don't have one of the top 10 secondaries going into season to me that's crazy stuff because just from talent even just the top end starting players on in the secondary but also the depth of the secondary there's a real case that not only are top 10 but potentially a top five secondary and then you look at the defensive line and what they've done there having Blake Martinez as well not the best second level guys besides him but having Blake Martinez it's a really strong defense potentially
3: it is it is and hopefully they can play to the level of 2020 and then take it to another Level from that, just adding the talent to the edge group that they did and bringing in Dory Jackson and getting the healthy Xavier McKay. So, everything suggests that that's going to happen now. Let's just have it happen on Sunday.
2: Exactly. (laughs) All right, let's transition a bit and dive into some questions from the listeners. We'll start with our W who asks PFF Steve rated the Giants' offensive line as dead last going into the 2020 season today on his podcast. This was also a published article from Pro Football Focus. What are your thoughts on that?
3: I mean, I can see where he's coming from. That doesn't mean they're going to be the worst offensive line, but you do have a lot of youth on that offensive line. You had two tackles who struggled at times last season, and they're going into their second year. Now, the whole Mark Colombo situation, um, I don't know if they considered all of that kind of just... I guess chaotic mess that was going on but just looking at the personnel you have a guy who's been like a jag i guess you could say and will hernandez making a transition to the right side shane lemuse struggling mightily in pass protection it's going into his second year and then nick gates going into his second year as center it's a lot of youth that's not a lot of proven consistency And when you look around the nfl offensive lines i mean they're very hard to build up but what teams have a more unproven offensive line than the giants giants have a lot of potential that's something i would disagree i wouldn't say that they were 32nd in potential but in terms of being a proven entity at this point they're not necessarily there so like what other what offensive lines rival them in terms of being proven and established the the dolphins is like the one team that comes to my mind but the jets i mean they at least got AVT in this draft and makai beckton a lot of people are high on them i think they're not you know they're not great by any stretch of the imagination but i didn't look into this and think it was a huge slight because i can see where he drew that conclusion from
2: yeah, I don't think this is really a slight at all. And that's not to say I think the Giants will be the thirty second offensive yeah, line. Same here. There's this is a projection, you know? It's just like he said at the end. The bottom line is the Giants' offensive line is a question mark. They need their young players to develop and their veterans to provide career, career years just to rank in the middle of the pack. And I don't think that's unfair at all. Like where he said it best, like Nate Soldier's trying to play a new position for the first time since 2011 Or not a new position, but a position for the first time since two thousand eleven. There's really no depth at all. Their best player last year was Kevin Zeitler, and he had his career worst season from their grading standpoint. And yet He was their best player. Kenny Wiggins and Jonathan Harrison have never graded above 60. This is according to their metrics, and I'm throwing out their grading numbers to an extent, or I'm putting a massive grain of salt on it because I don't really buy into their grading scale. We've talked about this with the Shane Lemieux stuff, who obviously wasn't good, but he's getting like zeros that like weigh down the entire overall grade and weird. Like the, the weird number, I don't like the way they grade is the best way I could say it. I wish they had a different scale. I don't like that it's that zero through 100 because it gives too much... Like, the outliers weigh in too heavily when you're doing the 0-100. to 100. And the outliers are like, you're having some guy chart their games and, like, say, like, this was a 12, this was a 26, this was a 32, this was a 58. Like, based on what? It's not like you get a grade per snap and you get a number per snap. That's maybe something that's better. I just don't like it and I don't know about it. But but they're right in their overall sense of, like, you're. it's not that you're only counting on young players. The offensive line doesn't have a lot of depth the veterans are asked are haven't been good or asked to play new positions and even that young talent quote-unquote supposed to develop the only major investments really and truly were Andrew Thomas and Will Hernandez when you're talking about Matt Parrott in the 99th over ball, that's not a major investment I can't listen to that crap 99 is not a major investment in offensive line that may be considered a decent investment at some easier more depth uh, deep positions like wide receiver or running back at offensive tackle that is a project player When you're going that deep into the draft to take a tackle that's a project and hernandez yes that was a major investment we're going into year four and so like when do guys break out in year four or change that drastically in year four so there's so many question marks after andrew thomas from a young talent standpoint even to me that like this is a totally fair ranking like you want to throw the Panthers in the mix, who they have 31, the mm-hmm. Dolphins. Again, Giants can be better than both of those offensive lines. They can be better than the Jets. They can certainly be better than the Steelers, who I think, you know, you can make a case right now, should have started 22. Yeah, I'm sorry, 32. They do have DeCastro, but like, aside from him, you can maybe say Thomas can be as good as DeCastro or something like that. DeCastro's older. But really, it's just apples and oranges here. It's push just comes to shove. It's not really a big deal. Like You're just projecting based on what you know now. And so... I'm f- totally fine with this, to be completely honest. I think it's more than fair.
3: Yeah, I didn't I didn't read into this and take it as, oh my gosh, I can't believe they did that, because like <laughs> you said, we can see why he got to that. Now let's just hope that the Giants can take that step, Yes. and development is linear in a positive way, and they end up being like the 20th or the 15th.
2: Yeah, and how about this? If the scheme improves from Jason Garrett like in the said, play call, yeah. Or more importantly than anything else, if Daniel Jones' mind improves, if he starts to work through his reads a lot faster, if the game slows down for him in his second year in a system, and he gets through things faster, the offensive line then starts to look better, Yeah. right? They may have same pass-win rate that's not as good, or guys might be winning losing quickly like we saw from Shane Lemieux last season, but it won't matter if he gets the ball out to the right spot and he knows where to go with it based on where those safeties rotate post-snap, or based on what they're bluffing and what they're showing post-snap, so... There's a lot of factors that can go into improving an offensive line in my mind. And I don't think that we can just look at this linearly. Like we have Matt Parrott, Andrew Thomas, third round pick, fifth round pick, first round pick, blah, blah, blah. It's not all just coming down to these five guys in my mind. There's a lot of factors that go into this. And so, but for this exercise, PFF Steve, PFF's exercise, it was literally just looking at the guys they have. It wasn't talking about how scheme or quarterback play will help the offensive line. So i don't blame them for just looking at this roster and looking at the starters in depth and saying this is 32 yeah i know
3: yeah yeah, we're on the same page
2: okay Jay dodge asks talk a little bit about what you expect to see during just the minicamp portion not training camp for one the running back depth battle two the inside linebacker depth battle and three the three safety look what does that mean for the db linebacker lineup or depth
3: yeah, so we touched a little bit on the inside linebacker one before with Reggie Ragland, Carter Coughlin possibly making that transition, and I think it is going to be a battle, to be honest. I think Tay Crowder has the edge, but I would not be surprised if Reggie Ragland ends up winning that, or if Carter Coughlin takes astronomical steps forward and really learns the position if he doesn't even get a shot there. As for the running back depth battle, obviously Saquon's going to be the one as long as he's healthy, and then it's going to be Devontae Booker, and I think Corey Clement is going to work his way into that as well. I think he brings a lot of value on special teams, and he has shown the ability to be a receiver back who can pass protect and if you could do those two things you're going to be valuable so I do believe Corey Clement is going to have a role as well
2: that's an excellent point regarding the running back battle Clement's someone who can not only work his way in quickly but this is the one advantage of and I'm not saying it's a good thing, but this is the one advantage of Saquon Barkley having a little bit of a slower start to this offseason. With Barkley not on the field, it gives these guys and it gives the Giants more data, more of a sample size to work with as far as deciding which running back should be on the roster behind Saquon Barkley. Should Elijah Penny deserve a roster spot? Does Colin Gileffio deserve a roster spot? Does Gary Brightwell deserve a roster spot? Does Corey Clement deserve a roster spot? Do, you know, right call armstead the guy who they just picked up who i like was a little bit of talent a little bit of juice a little bit of anger in his style of running from the jaguars who belongs because they probably have two or three roster spots to give out who are those guys? And without Barkley out there, we'll give them a better opportunity to evaluate these guys.
3: Yeah, which is something that I really do love. You didn't bring up Sandro Platzgummer, by the way. <laughs> exactly,
2: Sorry, Sandro Platzgummer, but you do have a great
3: name. Yeah, yeah, the international player from Germany, I believe. But Reichwald Armstead is another player. It's just he's a little bit more of an unknown for those who don't know. He had COVID last year and it was a really, really bad case of COVID. So he missed the entire season. And I'm not sure how his body has held up through that or how uh, the ill effects that he has to deal with. But he's another player that I feel like can get thrown into that mix. But Everything I've seen from Corey Clements' film, I did see some pass protection ability, and I do like his size. I know the Giants value that size because it seems like every running back they bring in is like five foot ten, five foot eleven, two hundred twenty pounds. Like yeah. <laughs> they love that size. So. Right. so I think I think that could definitely be interesting. Jay Dodge, and as for the three safety look, I'm certain that they're going to use a lot of three safeties with McKinney, Logan Ryan, Andrew Brill Peppers, and. Honestly, if they even suffer an injury, I wouldn't be surprised if they still use it and throw Julian Love in there because Julian Love can play and he can execute different rules and, and have different assignments as well. So I believe that you're going to see one of those linebackers, and it's probably going to be Jabril Peppers more so than not, but not all the time. You can drop Xavier McKinney in the box. You can definitely drop Logan Ryan in the box. Julian Love has some snaps in the box. So I just think having those versatile second-level defenders who are technically safeties is only going to benefit Patrick Graham.
2: Yeah, I completely agree with you on that, Nick, and I will say this regarding not only the safety battle, but first, one quick thing on the running back battle that I find interesting is that this will also be an opportunity for us to see which guys are being used in passing down situations, because I'm really interested to see if Booker was brought on this team to play the passing down roles, because ultimately I think their highest upside their ultimate top game is to get Saquon Barkley in there but remember Saquon Barkley coming off a major knee injury he was already had some major question marks in pass protection I'm not so sure they're going to feel confident with it in pass pro now what I think you should do as a coach what I think Jason Garrett should do is adjust if that's the case he has all this film of Barkley not being the best pass protector he's coming off the injury don't have your running back pass protection passing down. Have him run routes. You can easily work that into your system. Have him be that checkdown. Have him be that. Have a high to low to read where he's that low read, and have him run routes and take another defender out of the play or away from coverage where he would be, you know, breaking on a different route. You don't just have to have the guy in pass protection. There's different ways. I see a lot of good coaches do that. So, but I'll be interested to see those guys. But as far as you said with the safety stuff, I think what Jay Dodge is getting at, and I think it's really interesting, is going to be how are they going to mix and match with that with the line with the second and third level right because we expect to see a lot of five to five defensive back looks with the two outside corners we mentioned and the mix and match of that three but now you have guys like Aziz Ojalari in the mix and Carter who looked really good at voluntary OTAs if he's back somehow and like back to full health he's also back in the mix and so how are they going to find enough spots I'm curious because we're going to assume there's going to be three of those defensive down linemen on a given snap and so now they have you know eight defenders to work with in the back there two are guaranteed with Bradbury and and um, Adoree and Jackson, a third that's basically guaranteed in my mind with either Robinson or Holmes. Maybe they start to do Peppers or McKinney. That it's tough to say, but you have a lot to mix and match with there. So I agree, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what early down roles these guys have and what passing down roles these yeah guys have.
3: i think a lot of that will be determined in training camp i don't think mm-hmm. anything is necessarily a given True. right now or will happen in these mini camps that are about to transpire it's fair but man this is a good problem to have like that's all i'm gonna say it's a very very good problem to have we shouldn't be seeing hopefully knock on wood as many snaps of the ryan lewis's the isaac items and guys like that out there I mean, even the guys like adrian Colbert who had a, his little like couple game run with the giants last year and took a bunch of penalties and Basically. he wasn't that bad though. No no, he Weird. wasn't that bad, but he loved just targeting C D Lamb. He, <laughs> just, he just helmet
2: to helmet. <laughs> That's all you can do to stop C D Lamb to be honest in the slot. That was a disaster. And I think he's gonna be tough to stop again in that oh, slot for anyone. Hopefully Aaron Robinson can help, but I'm not so sure that anyone could stop C D Lamb in the slot right now with the rest of those weapons as well in that
3: offense. Those three by one sets. If the Cowboys got a tight end and they ran those oh, three by God. one sets, say they got Kyle Pitts, just right. somehow. And they can run three-by-one sets with CeeDee Lamb as their number three and the backside one being Kyle Pitts. That would have been insane. would have been hard to stop,
2: especially with Dak, who's done a really good job of, like, one thing Dak's improved the most, two things Dak's improved the most. Dak Prescott, in my mind, was somebody... There was a time in my life, Nick, where I was making the hard argument that... Carson Wentz was a much better quarterback than Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott was overrated, and I completely don't feel that way anymore. I've never seen a quarterback improve as much at the NFL level. I shouldn't say I've never. Josh Allen has actually improved way more than Dak Prescott. Josh Allen's improved more than any quarterback in my mind in the history of me following this game. With the exception of Allen, though, I haven't seen a quarterback make that much of a stride as Prescott, and I really think a lot of it was the work he did. I come back to this, that lower body work, the hips, the flexibility there and how much drive he's getting but more importantly it's the processing man that's what i want to see from jones it's the mental processing from dak Saw a lot of good film reps recently i believe it was from marcus mosher somebody who covers the cowboys um might have been somebody else so i apologize if it was you (laughs) and you're listening or or this gets back to you but they were just great design shows of how dak prescott saw something pre-snap changed the play, and then had to adjust post-snap based on what he saw and was able to make that adjustment and get the ball to the right read. And that's something ultimately I want to see from Jones. Ultimately, I believe that's why Tom Brady is who Tom Brady is. I believe that's why Drew Brees was able to play so long, even without the arm talent. And Peyton Manning, of course, that's the best example of that. Remember, Manning didn't even have the best arm talent at all. I thought. (laughs) If I'm going to be completely honest, I thought Eli Manning's arm talent was comparable to Peyton's. I thought he, at times, had more zip on certain throws to certain levels of field, especially in that intermediate range. I know that's probably debatable, but I yeah. think what those guys win with is that is the mind. It's the processing. It's specifically the post-snap processing. And so, hopefully, that will be Jones as well. But, again, I don't know how we got off on this tangent. Let's go to another question from Rohan. He says, It's been a while since we have had the new style OTAs with limited time with the full pads. Overall, less time being spent. What do you think are the biggest differences between before and after the new CBA?
3: I would say it's just the, the 2 days I mean, yeah. it's less practice time, so you have less just time to work with your guys and implement your offense and install your offense. And that's something that means that you just can't waste any time in practice not that they were wasting time before but you you need to make basically every single second count you need to get the most out of every freaking practice which was a given but now there's just no room for error and it makes things just a little bit more vanilla and when injuries do end up happening you don't have as many guys and backups working with the first team and then there could be continuity issues especially in like the secondary or along the offensive line because in the old back in the old days back in the old days Mm -hmm. they were able to you know allow those second guys who may get a chance to step in there to have reps with the first team and then develop that continuity. Now that's not necessarily happening because there's less practice time. You need to ensure that your starters are fully ready and the backups don't get as much time with the first team. They're more just relegated to those second team snaps.
2: That's an excellent answer, Nick. I don't have anything else to add because I think that spot on that nails it I think that's really those are the people who really affects the most, those second those back end roster guys. And now at least there's more guys in the mix. They've expanded the roster and they mm-hmm. have like a later cutdown. But it's still going to be hard for those guys to get meaningful reps, to be completely honest. And so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out this offseason with those back-end guys. But Rohan says, question number two, and I know I ask a lot of questions. Trust me, my teachers have told me as as, as much and so have my colleagues. Let me just stop you right there, Rohan. Because, you know what, this is something I've been told in my life too. But I want to be clear about something. There are some people in this world who quote-unquote ask too many questions, but those are the people who ask stupid questions, and I don't think (laughs) you're one of those people, Rohan, because I'm one of the people like you who doesn't ask stupid questions, and I've had a lot of times in my life where not only in school, but specifically in my career, it's been a really good thing that I've asked a specific question, or I've asked a question and it sparked a debate about something else, or I'm sorry, a conversation about something else that led to important change or something really important happening at that job and for the people who I work with. So keep asking those questions. As long as they're not stupid questions that you could have you know, read in an email or somebody told you a few hours back. Those are not good ones to ask. I've had that problem too at times. Occasionally you misread something or you overlook something. But if you're asking different types of questions like you're about to ask here, that's not a bad thing, man. So keep doing you. Don't worry about what your colleagues say. Don't worry about what your teachers say. Don't worry about what your friends say. You know what? Those people, in my mind, are probably not doing the best job asking questions themselves. So you ask, what are you looking for from the offensive system during the minicamp? The portion that the beat writers have access to, could you even tell if different plays are being called? We did actually already answer this one. So you could just dive back into earlier in the podcast, Rohan. We went into a lot of what we want to see from a route concept standpoint, from a motion standpoint with Darius Tony, for example, specific players. So just dive back. We, we shouldn't really there's – no, there's no really – reason to beat a dead horse to go back over it. But I do appreciate the question. If we didn't get to it
3: earlier, uh, we would have answered it in depth yeah, here as well. I love the fact, Dan, that you were like, there are no dumb questions. You're the man, dude. I love you. Oh, by the way, we already answered your question. <laughs> go back and listen.
2: <laughs> no, that's fucking bad. But he couldn't have known that we answered. No, of See, course. He actually course. was smart and fortuitous and read our minds. Ah, I like it. Love, so it. love it, So this was actually another great question. So keep barreling, keep doing you. All right, Curmudgeon asked, do you believe Joe Judge will let?" Jason Garrett run his vanilla, motionless, three plays in a cloud of field turf, 2010 <laughs> offense in 2021. I can't believe with all the new players and coaches judges brought in that this is even possible. If anything, to
3: me, Garrett seems
2: like Jones's fall guy if things go south.
3: I think it's interesting. I think that the philosophy of Jason Garrett is something that Dan and I have talked a lot about, and we want that to change. There's no doubt about it. We don't want him to just be calling three plays to get 10 yards. We need a little bit more explosive plays. I believe Judge is going to be up his ass, dude, because during games, yes, during when the series is going on, it's on the play caller to call the plays, but when the defense is on the field... The coaches are just in each other's ears just talking hey what did you see what are they doing okay we got to make this adjustment and it's all about making adjustments at that point and adjusting to what the defense is showing you and i believe that's going to happen last year it didn't necessarily materialize into anything great on the football field but that's going to be happening i do believe freddie kitchens not being the tight ends coach not having that responsibility and getting upgraded to a a, a newer creative role of like offensive analyst i think that's going to assist jason garrett but it's still jason garrett's system and if he's still running that system and still has that philosophy that's going to be an issue it really is in my opinion i think you need to definitely expand he has the weaponry to do so he has the weaponry to do so in his 2010 offense which he didn't have in the 2020 offense with the giants right. i.e kyle rudolph as a y tight end and uh, ken galladay as an x receiver but at the end at the end of the day if this offense struggles say week five and the giants are you know one and four or something like that and it's just horrendous yeah i can see jason garrett kind of being a fall guy but i don't know if the mayors are gonna are gonna allow that dude yeah, it's, that's that's where it gets tricky, man. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know if Joe Judge is going to have the full autonomy to do that.
2: Yeah, that I I completely can see your standpoint. That I do I agree. I'm not positive Joe Judge will have the full autonomy to get rid of Garrett mid season. I also think it's interesting, honestly, what Camruden says. Will they be able to just look at the end of the season and can try to convince the fan base that? Daniel Jones only struggled if Daniel Jones does struggle again because Jason Garrett was the coordinator and they needed a change there. And you know you see that a lot with head coaches using coordinators of fall guys. Well, the same thing happened with the quarterback, with Daniel Jones. That's interesting. That's something to see. To me, regardless of what shape the offensive line is in, there's no excuses for Daniel Jones to perform like he did bottom line wise I know again the film looks better than the bottom line with Jones it always has it always will but bottom line he's been a turnover machine and he has not generated much offense at all through his first two seasons those are the facts he has not generated much offense overall he's not generated much offense in the red zone he's not generated much touchdowns and he's turned the ball over at an extensive rate if that continues regardless of what the film says if that's still the bottom line that's three years of it in today's NFL with two first round picks and that would likely lead to a bad record, there is no fall guy in my mind. That's it. I'm cutting the plug. I'm okay with Sam Darnold. If Sam Darnold goes on to have success in Carolina, I'm okay with that. If maybe I get a Zach Wilson and he's good or I reset that timeline. Line, you know, where you have the quarterback under contract Absolutely. for eight million mm-hmm. rather than giving Daniel Jones twenty five million a year. There's no more excuses to me. The offensive line is not an excuse to me. Not with Galladay in the mix, not with Barkley in the mix, and not with Tony in the mix. And Kyle Rudolph to an extent, because he can run I don't love Kyle Rudolph, but within this this crappy Jason Garrett system, Kyle Rudolph sadly might be like a nice cog for
3: them. You and, know? and honestly, I know everyone's really low on Evan Ingram right now, but I think he's an interesting player mm-hmm. now. So if Kyle Rudolph comes back healthy he can assume that really important role within Jason Garrett's system. So where does that leave Evan Ingram? Is he just going to be the number two tight end doing what Caden Smith did last year? No, he's not going to be that lead blocker. He's not going to be that H-back. Is he just going to be like a Levine Toilolo who just lines up in between two other tight ends and just... uh, Pathetically attempts to throw a block. No, he's not. And honestly, Evan Ingram is a, In my opinion, Evan Ingram did a much better job than Levine Toilolo as a blocker last year. It says thought, a lot about. Yeah, I thought Levine you hated
2: Lolo. Evan Ingram more than anyone on this roster, Nick. But I've learned since in the coming yeah. days that you really don't like Levine Toilolo. Well, he's not good. <laughs> uh, he, down on Levine Toilolo. He, he's not, he's just he really he, isn't good. I would think someone that size should be able to block, and he can't block.
3: No, nah, he, he finds he himself on route. the gro- he <laughs> finds <laughs> himself on the ground. All clumsy. Long. He's very clumsy. Has he just made
2: it this far because of his size?
3: I mean he's also old though, so I can't I can't speak to earlier in his career, but at this point I can imagine the Giants could do better than a Levine Toy Lolo in terms of it's play. Odd. He might have a big role in the locker room, he might be a locker room. I, I really can't speak to yeah. that. But how are you gonna use Evan Ingram, though, to get back to the point? Are you gonna use him in a more creative or are you gonna use him as a big slot sometimes? Are you gonna try to do those freaking weird ass end arounds? I hope not, now that you have Kadarius Tony. But I think Evan Ingram still has a place on this roster to be a weapon and a mismatch guy. Just use him running horizontally, use him running vertically, occupy that safety, use his speed against the defense to open up routes underneath. And I think that is a good way to use him because he does have exceptional speed and athletic ability.
2: Just don't put too much on his plate. Agreed. You take less off his plate and maybe he can do better. You give him the routes that he's successful with, routes that break. Toward the sideline or up the field. And maybe he can once again be successful. And again, all the players we're not even talking about, from Evan Ingram to Darius Slayton to Sterling Shepard, all of them have flashes. All of them have ability, in my mind, to contribute. So there really are no excuses in my mind for Daniel Jones in 2021. I'll be completely honest.
3: Yeah, it's got to win. You got to win.
2: You got to win. And you got to, more importantly, generate offense and turn the ball over less. All right, let's end this on this note. Matt Roach says... What's the over-under for Joe Judge diving on loose balls during this mini camp? So I'll set the over-under here now. I want
3: to say one yeah. thing now. Matt, is your name Roche? Just to, just to say, I, I don't know if it's Roche
2: or is it Roach? It's probably actually Roche, I would I would guess. So my bad, yeah. Matt. I'm sure the last name like Roche, you probably don't want to be called Roach. <laughs> then again, there what are. What if it is
3: Roach though? And now, you're, now we're sitting here criticizing, you you sitting criticizing <laughs> last name.
2: So really, I've lost either way here. This is a lose-lose for me. I'm just going to bury that and move on to the question. I'll set the over-under, Nick, at .5. Because remember, for Sartres, he didn't dive on any loose balls during those loose ball drills in the rain, in the wet, during training camp last year, or mini-camp last year. He did it during training camp. But it was a truncated offseason, season yada-yada. Now he's back in the mix with new guys. What are you saying? Over-under at .5. Just mini-camp? Just mini-camp. I'm going to go under. I'm going to take the over, Nick.
3: I like it. I like it. I'll t- Tell me why you're taking them there. I'll tell you why I'm taking the over. I think he's going to save it for training camp. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I-, I think it's going to happen in the <laughs> off season. I just don't think it's going to happen right. in the next three days.
2: That's fair. Because I think it's definitely going to happen in the offseason. They're going to be like, this was a fun thing we did with the players. They seemed to like it. Social media liked it. And so I think they'll run it back, especially for the new guys. But you're right. Maybe it. Maybe they wait. They'll train. I camp. feel
3: like this is going to be. It's not going to be like you know very very austere and strict. But I feel like it's more like let's get to know everybody and then yes. like training camp at the end of training camp before we get to the season we're going to have a little bit of fun you know and that's <laughs> yes. when we're going to do it.
2: That's a that's a good. I think that's right. All right, we'll wrap it up there on that note. Thank you to everyone tuning in to the Big Blue Banter New York Giants Football Podcast. If you want to help support us, please please leave us a rating review on itunes we're now up to 600 plus ratings and reviews on itunes that's awesome thank you to everyone who has taken the time to leave a review a five-star rating and make sure you subscribe and download the podcast don't just hit listen we need you to hit that download button so please hit that download button also you can find us on instagram ny in front of the big blue banter that's ny big blue banter on instagram and on youtube you'll find us by typing in big blue banter hit subscribe more videos will be coming your way this offseason. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week, but we'll be talking to you a lot sooner than that because we plan to have a lot of mini coverage as much as of available to us. So oh, and one more thing. For those of you, Locker Room will be resuming its scheduled time on Tuesday evenings. Now we might have to do it at six PM Eastern, but it might be at eight. We're still deciding that. But it will be Tuesday tonight. Locker room's back. Join us. Thank you to those of you who have tuned in on the locker room over the recent weeks. I know it's slow during the off season, so really do appreciate that. Otherwise have a great rest of your week. Go giants and we'll talk to you soon,
4: It's happening daily. MyPatriotSupply.com